It is good to be back with you again. I believe it was about four years ago when you gave Pastor Jeff another opportunity to take a little vacation that I uh, was here and very much enjoyed it. By the way, I do have stories, but unfortunately his stories about me are even better. So discretion being the better part of valor, I'm just going to let all that go. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious and loving Father, open our ears to hear, open our hearts to embrace, and open our minds to live Your Word and Your will for our lives. Help us to know what it means to be a good neighbor to one another. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, hospitality has long been viewed here in the South and in other parts of the country as a cultural and social way of life. Being a good neighbor, not only on the street where we live or in our community or amongst the church or with the stranger, but also with all people in need is our calling as Christians. This morning, Jesus has a message for us about stepping up to a radical level of love by providing radical hospitality. In his three-year ministry, Jesus is countercultural. In the people that he reaches out to, the people that he loves, the people that he serves, he looks deeply within each person that he meets to see their true nature. He discerns what lies behind the mask that people wear. He searches their heart, their mind, their soul, hoping to find goodness, compassion, and love. Jesus accepts the hospitality of everyone who offers it to him, regardless of their social status. He reaches out to those considered to be socially unacceptable and even unworthy. He approaches tax collectors, the poor, and others considered outcasts with compassion, care, and love. He never discriminates based on one's ethnicity or acceptability based on Jewish law and customs. He's not a pleaser. And that's one of the things I love about him so much. He freely reaches out to heal lepers, associates with Romans and Samaritans, all considered untouchable, ritually unclean. He does not care what the rich and the privileged think or want him to believe, or want him to do, particularly the political and religious elite. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus teaches a strong message challenging the deeply ingrained beliefs and values of a people supported by the religious establishment in Jerusalem. Hear now the word of the Lord in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 29. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, and how do you read it? He answered, quoting Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor. As yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer wanted to justify himself, 
So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The story of the Good Samaritan is one of the best-known parables of Jesus. The setting for this story is on a notoriously dangerous stretch of road, 17 miles between Jerusalem and Jericho. The road runs through all kinds of passes and defiles with plenty of places for bandits to hide and to terrorize passengers, people passing by. One of these victims has been robbed, stripped, beaten, and left for dead. His attackers leave him with nothing to identify his status except his desperate need for help. He could be a Jew or a Gentile, but the crowd in front of Jesus would assume that he is a Jew. So Jesus tells this story from this man's point of view, and his Jewish audience can certainly identify with this innocent victim of random violence. The characters in this story, in addition to the victim and Samaritan, are a lawyer, a priest, and a Levite. Doesn't that sound like the introduction to a really bad joke? A lawyer, a priest, and a Levite went into? Well, I'm not going to go there. Anyway, we have a lawyer, a priest, and a Levite. The lawyer is a temple specialist in God's commandments, his law, and the purity code. He stands up in the crowd to test Jesus, probably to display his great learning and intellect. I don't think Jesus was very impressed. But he asked Jesus what he must do to enter heaven. And Jesus replies by turning the question back to him. And the lawyer replies, quoting those two texts in the Bible, that we're to love God and love our neighbor. And when Jesus validates his response, the lawyer again presses his luck, I think, to impress the crowd, asking, well, who is my neighbor? And in the parable, Jesus will answer this question, but he's also going to ask a question the lawyer could have asked, which is, how am I to love and obey God by loving and serving my neighbor? And this is a question Jesus is asking of you and me this morning. But before responding to this question, to really understand the context that a Jew and a Samaritan would hear in this command of Christ to love one another, to love your neighbor, we need to really understand more of the background behind these two groups. In Judaic society, there are boundaries set with specific rules on how Jews should treat each other, treat Gentiles, including Samaritans, and how men should treat women. And these boundaries allow certain groups in that society to establish position, power, and privilege. So maintaining and protecting these rules, these boundaries, are critical. These rules become then a religious duty. One boundary is teaching Samaritans as unclean descendants of mixed marriages from the Assyrian invasion of Israel 700 years before. This is a long time grudge. Yet they worshiped, the Samaritans worshiped the same God, observed the same law, speak the same language as their supposedly devout pure blooded cousins. You can imagine how the Samaritans feel about the Jews. So we continue on in Luke 10, verses 30 to 32. In reply to the lawyer, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, 
beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. So in Luke 10 here, verses 31 to 32, the injured man sees a man approaching him on this road, and now he has hope. Here comes someone who can help him, because he cannot help himself. And by his appearance, this man approaching by his robes is a priest of the temple in Jerusalem, and would be absolutely expected by Jewish law and tradition to stop and help an injured person. The priest sees the helpless, bleeding man. But the injured man's hopes are crushed when this priest passes him by. No reason is given, but no reason can justify his neglect of this man in desperate need. By Jewish law, if this priest had found a corpse by the side of the road, he would be required to stop and bury it. How much more would he owe to a man in desperate need, bleeding in front of him and near death? Later, a Jew from the tribe of Levi, known for their strict observance of the law, also approaches toward this man. Another ray of hope. Someone's coming who can help me. But again, this man is ignored and truly sinks into despair as the Levite goes on his way. I wonder what's going through his mind as he walks away from the stranger. I wonder if his conscience bothers him and regret or guilt follows. But both the priest and the Levite recognize he is seriously injured. He could be a fellow Jew. And by abandoning him, they violate the very heart of God's command to serve and love one another. Now I suspect the crowd in front of Jesus are beginning to wonder, where is this parable leading us? Where are we going with Jesus? So in Luke 10, verses 33 to 35, the story continues. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once preached on the parable of the Good Samaritan, and he said this, I imagine that the first question the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? By the very nature of his concern, the Good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Shattering all expectations of the crowd, Jesus teaches a third traveler, a Samaritan, approaches this wounded man. And the Samaritan is overcome with compassion. 
He does not see a Jew, but a man in desperate need of help. And despite living his entire life feeling despised and rejected, he tends this man's wounds and takes him to the nearby inn. He's not wealthy, but he leaves a generous sum of money with the innkeeper to take care of this stranger. He has nothing to gain, nothing to gain by helping this man. His original purpose that day, though, becomes a secondary consideration. And the Samaritan's radical hospitality, love and care is shocking when compared with the behavior of the priest and Levite considered holy by the people. Now, the lawyer and the crowd in front of Jesus are stunned into silence. So Jesus challenges the crowd's contempt for people considered unworthy by making the Samaritan the hero of the story. And Jesus demolishes all of their boundary expectations. He is clear that social position, wealth, race, or nationality counts for nothing in the eyes of God. Community can no longer be defined or limited by such terms. And the Samaritan's actions not only challenge the hearer to examine their stereotypes, but invalidates all prejudices that they and we may have for those considered others. And the final two verses of Luke 10, verses 36 to 37. So Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. In the final scene of this parable, Jesus question puts the lawyer in the distasteful position of having to lift up a Samaritan above the Jewish holy elite. So the lawyer replies that the neighbor is the one who showed him mercy. Being neighborly is the selfless expression of our love and care for people as God's messengers of mercy. My friends, Christ expects you and me to be God's messengers of mercy. Stephen Covey writes of his own experience being neighborly in his Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one Sunday morning, he's in a subway car in New York City. And everybody around was pretty quiet. They're dozing, reading a paper, maybe talking softly with one another. When all of a sudden, a man and, a, and his children come on to the subway car like a hurricane. The kids are running around. They're loud. They're rambunctious. They're sort of rustling people's papers as they're running. But, but the father is pretty subdued, and he's sitting right next to Cubby. So after a little bit, Cubby kindly says and leans over, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you could do a little more to control them. And the downcast man turns to Covey and softly says, Oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. <clears throat> we just came from the hospital where their mother died an hour ago. I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. And Covey later writes, 
Can you imagine what I felt in that moment? Suddenly, I saw things differently. And because I saw things differently, I thought differently. I felt differently. I behaved differently. My irritation vanished. My heart was filled with this man's pain. And feeling of compassion and love flowed freely over me. And I just said to him, your, your wife just died. I am so sorry. Tell me about her. What can I do to help? Everything changed in an instant. To love and obey God and love and serve our neighbor is our calling as disciples of Christ. How we love our neighbor as yourself is our journey each of us takes with Christ. And he assures us in Luke 22 verse 27 that I am with you as one who serves. I am within us. I am within you. I'm around you. I am with you every moment of every day as you serve, love, and care for others. I'm there by your side. And looking on with compassion and love as you provide radical love and hospitality serving our neighbor, your neighbor. So who is our neighbor? Jesus teaches anyone in need is our neighbor. And anyone who has love and compassion in their heart serving another is that person's neighbor. This includes our Samaritans, the so-called others in our society we may encounter. Our willingness to step up and follow Jesus serving our neighbor is a precious gift that we give unto God in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us pray. Oh Lord, help us to remove the lens that are filters we use in setting boundaries in our dealings with people. Help us to recognize all persons in need are our neighbors. And we are to love and care for them as Christ loves and cares for us. Guide us, O oh Lord, to follow the example of the Samaritan in doing what we can to ease the suffering and hardship of others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.